Welcome to Surveillance Report 36, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. This report recaps some of the most notable events in the last week. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about some new information regarding January's ubiquity data breach. Lots of potential crazy things happening with that, um, which we will cover. There's a new study about iOS versus Android telemetry data collection and which one is more private out of the box. And there's also some gaming mods that you should probably know about that have been trying to sneak malware. And there's a lot more this week. It's a busy week, so get ready. I am Henry from TechWare, where we spread privacy to the masses. I am Nathan from The New Oil. And today's episode is brought to you by Go Incognito, which is our course here at TechLore taking you from start to finish through the entire privacy and security journey. It's incredibly thorough and it's designed in a way where anyone can go through it and come out with a much deeper understanding of how to protect yourself and others around you online and in real life. Um, we've had hundreds, if not thousands of people go through it and, and they love it. Definitely go check it out. All links to Go Incognito are below. It's a phenomenal experience. All right, we're gonna kick it off in data breaches and we're gonna start with Facebook's 10 millionth data breach. This just happened today as we're recording actually. Data has been published for 533 million Facebook users on what the article is calling a quote unquote low level hacking forum. The data comes from 106 different countries, so there's tons of users from all over the world caught up in this. It includes phone number, Facebook ID, full names, locations, birth dates, bios, and email addresses in certain cases. And unfortunately, like I said, this is just the latest in a long, long running list of Facebook data breaches. So I personally do not recommend using Facebook, but if you do, beware, they are real bad at protecting your data. Our next story this week covers something called MobiQuick or MobiQuick, which is an Indian processing, payment processing platform. MobiQuick supposedly suffered a data breach and they actually flat out deny that there was ever a breach where pretty much they denied this ever happening, people were going in and saying, hey, I found my information on the dark web. And they said that these people uploaded their own information to make it look like they suffered a data breach. It's it's ridiculous. They're flat out denying any wrongdoing. Now India's central bank is coming in and investigating to see what's going on. And we're going to see if they're really um, if they're really responsible for this, which they very likely are. Our next data breach was a ransomware group that targeted universities in Maryland and California. So I'm gonna quote the article, the Klopp ransomware group has posted financial documents and passport information allegedly belonging to the University of Maryland and University of California online. Leaked data includes photos, names, home addresses, social security numbers, immigration status, dates of birth, and passport numbers. So basically first they do ransomware, and then once that's resolved, they say, by the way, we have a copy of the data, pay us again or else we're gonna, or maybe they'll just say, if you refuse to pay us, we'll publish the data in the first place. So they also, we're responsible for some other data breaches like the universities in Miami and Colorado. Our next story comes from Stanford University here in California, where they publicly came out and said that hackers uh, stole data, including social security numbers, addresses, emails, and information on family members and finances. They pretty much announced that it had to do with a file transfer service, Excellion, which was used by the university. Again, this is exa an example of where um, not a, a first party entity would be breached, but something that they're reliant on. You have to remember that security is, is actually a giant it's a giant ladder of people reliant on each other. Yeah, that was the uh, Excellium breach. That's okay. That's what it was. Is all those were affected by the Excellium breach? That's what it yeah, was. Yeah, this this is it's just getting larger and larger. What's what came out of the Excellium stuff? I know, right? Every single week, just keeps going. Hey, all right, you called a... it. <laughs> I did. I 
wish I didn't call it on such a bad thing. All right, here's a, I thought this was a really interesting story. It's a little bit different than the data breaches we're used to. So GitHub has a program called Arctic Code Vault in which they take various open source code that is on the website. They print it onto quote, hardened film designed to last for a thousand years, unquote, and then ship it off to Svalbard, Norway for storage. And uh, for those of you who have not heard of the Svalbard Global Seed Vault, you should check that out. It's unrelated, but it just, that's why they're shipping it to Norway. So anyways, there is a belief that the data of up to 200,000 patients from various healthcare facilities was caught up in this. So there was a data breach from a company called MedData, which is a quote, national provider of healthcare revenue cycle management solutions, unquote. And basically GitHub, because it's so popular, sometimes people don't just use it for code. I mean, for example, we use it to post the sources for the show and Privacy Tools uses it to take community suggestions and all kinds of stuff. So some people use it to store malware, bad code and data breaches. As such, because the med data breach was stored on GitHub, experts think that it was caught up in this program. And just one more note about that story, the actual data breach happened in September of 2019. It was not removed from GitHub until December of last year, and patients who were caught up in it are just now being notified. So again, you have to stay on top of protecting your own data. Our last data breach is a real quick one, a company called Procore, which is a software company that provides cloud construction management, had an exposed database containing over 270,000 unique email addresses, first name, last name, company names, and other information. It was accessed and downloaded by at least one unknown third party. It was responsibly disclosed by these researchers and has since been patched. So that's all we got in data breaches this week. Let's go into companies. And we're going to start with a really big story that made the rounds this week, which is the ubiquity data breach from January. So I've talked about this before on my old podcast. Basically, in January of this year, Ubiquity, who makes uh, a lot of networking equipment, routers and switches and stuff like that, they came forward and they say credentials were stolen. They said it was a data breach, but it wasn't a really big deal. Just change your password and everything's fine. Well, a whistleblower is now coming forward and he's basically saying they lied. It was so much worse than they made it out to be and they downplayed it because they didn't want it to damage their stock. They also say that the official cover story, well, the official story was just a cover. This whistleblower is saying that the attackers had full read-write access to Ubiquiti's Amazon databases, which would have given them source code, uh, cryptography keys, all kinds of stuff, and that the attacker also left a backdoor. We're still kind of watching that one play out, but yeah, this is, uh, I mean, if he's telling the truth, like, stolen source code, backdoor access, that's just, holy cow, that's bad. Up next, so we covered not too long ago about Google trying to remove, quote, remove third-party cookies using their own new technology, which is supposed to be more privacy-friendly. Well, it's been announced that Google has now started launching trials using what's now called Flock, uh, which is this new technology uh, for targeting people with advertisements. The problem is that, one, no one knew that they were using this trial. Google kind of secretly started putting this onto people as a trial in Chrome. Uh, and also, this didn't even replace cookies. It worked alongside them. So people still were getting third-party cookies as well as using Flock. There are many issues with this. Uh, this trial, there's still no opt-out. The only way to opt-out is for people to completely disable third-party cookies in the settings, which is kind of counterintuitive considering this feature was advertised to replace cookies. Uh, and this trial is gonna affect up to 5% of Chrome users worldwide. And it's supposed to go all the way through July. And again, there's still no dedicated opt-out. An easier way to opt out is to just download Chromium, which is what the browser Chrome is based off of, or you could just get Brave. 
Both of these are not going to have this kind of crap in it. The EFF stance of Google will likely use this to abuse their power is starting to look more and more like a reality, uh, and it's only been a couple weeks, and it's not even something that's actually being utilized very much yet. So yes, I would be concerned about Flock, but we will keep an eye to see if this is the direction it continues to go. Uh, and here's another Google story. The supermarket chain Albertsons is going to be using a new Google technology for their maps. They're trying to build these hyper-local shoppable maps, and the goal is to make it easier for shoppers to find groceries uh, for pickup and delivery. The company will integrate with Vision AI, Recommendations AI, uh, Business Messages, as well as other implied services. So just know that this is just another example of Google kind of being an invasive company. Uh, in different industries here. Up next, this one is kind of an interesting story. So on Android, apps can pretty much very easily view all the other apps that are installed on a device. But Google Play is now limiting Android 11 apps from seeing what's installed on your devices starting in May. And it's pretty self-explanatory. It's just um, some privacy updates that are designed to, to improve privacy. So uh, apps that need access, like antivirus or browsers, will still be able to have access through necessary permissions that they have to actually request. So this is generally a good thing. Yeah, and one thing I didn't put on the notes there, but one thing that's worth noting about that is uh, Google is going to require apps to justify why they need that access. You know, they can't just say like, well, we need it because we're a browser. Okay, what does your browser do that it needs to be able to see the other apps? So that's pretty cool. Our next story is about Google's competitor, Apple. Apple is rejecting apps with fingerprinting enabled as iOS 14 privacy enforcement begins. With iOS 14.5, Apple will begin requiring apps to comply with Apple's app tracking transparency initiative, which we've talked about before. Real simple, it just, app, it just requires apps to explicitly ask users, hey, can we track you? And there's been a lot of speculation about when 14.5 is going to roll out, because again, that's when ATT is going to start taking place. But as of this week, Apple started rejecting updates that did not comply with ATT, which suggests that 14.5 is about to drop. And interestingly, Apple, a lot of the issues that Apple is flagging come from third-party libraries, which means that potentially tens of thousands of apps that use those third-party libraries, the article said as much as 18% of the App Store, this could be affected if those libraries don't update to comply with ATT. Because again, those apps depend on those libraries unless they want to go build them themselves. So um, that'll be interesting to see how much time they give developers to roll with those punches. Our next story, it's kind of a nothing burger. Pretty much AT&T uh, is upgrading FirstNet to 5G. So this is their network. Uh, it's going to now include tower-to-core network encryption, which is hopefully going to make things a little bit more secure in the 5G world. Next up, we have PayPal. PayPal will begin letting people in the United States pay with Bitcoin. For those who are confused, PayPal has previously allowed users to purchase Bitcoin. So you could use PayPal the same way you can use Coinbase or something like that. Now they're allowing users to actually accept payments in Bitcoin if they're a vendor or something like that. What they're basically doing is automatically converting Bitcoin into the local currency, uh, US dollars or whatever, and then performing the transaction. So you're not really transacting crypto and they didn't specify if it gets converted back into crypto on the seller's end once it's in your account. But either way, Bitcoin is coming for the mainstream. Our next story moves into the car world, which is becoming uh, scarier and scarier by the day. Panasonic and McAfee uh, are teaming up to tackle vehicle cybersecurity. And that's pretty much it. So there's a partnership now and they're trying to jointly kind of address uh, vehicle concerns behind security. So we'll see what that means in the future. We'll see if they come out with anything, uh, but it's nice to see some people taking some kind of initiative on this. 
And speaking of cars, uh, here's kind of a concerning one. There's companies who are tracking millions of cars, and also the Immigration and Border Police have been grabbing this kind of data. So the U.S. Border Patrol has the authority to order vehicle location information from any U.S.-based company who tracks vehicles for any purpose. This includes OnStar, SiriusXM, or even manufacturers like Tesla who collect this information themselves uh, and other telemetry data collection. Quote from the article here, in the last 18 months, Customs and Border Protection Control and Immigration's uh, Customs Enforcement, ICE, officials demanded location data from three companies who collectively track the movements of tens of millions of vehicles every day, which include GM, OnStar, Geotab, and uh, Spirion. And also Geotab is Canadian as well, which is an interesting uh, thing to, to take in. But guys, I'm telling you, like this is the next big deal. I feel like just like how we went from computers to smartphones and we've it's taken us 10 years to figure out the privacy and security issues of smartphones, that's what's happening with cars. Uh, it's gonna take us probably 10 years from now to finally start figuring this out for you to actually have you know privacy permissions on your car and we actually start figuring out what to do with this. And especially I, I wanted to note with Geotab being a Canadian country, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about the country that a certain service or app is based in and that definitely counts for something. But just remember that's not bulletproof because I mean, Geotab being Canadian, they could probably make it a little harder for Border Patrol to get information from them, but they don't really fight back. So, you know, country matters, but at the same time, it only matters as much as the company is willing to fight requests for data. All right, let's move into research. And we're gonna start off with one of the big stories that was making the rounds this week. It is a 10-page research paper, so it's very short. You should definitely go ahead and read it. It is called Mobile Handset Privacy, Measuring the Data iOS and Android Send to Apple and Google. I'm gonna go ahead and read the abstract because I think they kind of sum up everything, everything worth saying in one very good paragraph. We investigate what data iOS on an iPhone shares with Apple and what data Google Android on a Pixel phone shares with Google. Even when minimally configured and the handset is idle, both iOS and Android share data with Apple and Google on average every four and a half minutes. The phone IMEI, hardware serial number, SIM serial number, and IMSI, handset phone number, etc., are shared with Apple and Google. Both iOS and Google Android transmit telemetry despite the user explicitly opting out of this. When a SIM is inserted, both iOS and Google Android send details to Apple and Google. iOS sends the MAC address of nearby devices, which is horrifying, e.g. other handsets and the home gateway to Apple together with their GPS location. Users have no opt-out from this, and currently there are few, if any, realistic options for preventing this data sharing. I, I think the only silver lining here, depending on whether you're an Apple user or Google user, Google, according to this paper, submitted almost 20 times more data than Apple did. So technically, Apple is slightly more private, but I mean... I don't know, personally, even as an Apple user, like sends the Mac address of nearby devices, like I don't, that's not cool, man. And especially when you've tried to opt out, not okay. You're using it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Who, me? This next story is more of a behind the scenes thing. A flaw was found in NetMask, which is an open source module used in what, 270,000 software projects. Uh, this is a pretty serious vulnerability, which was discovered and it has now been fixed. This flaw actually affected a huge number of open source projects who are reliant on this, so it's good that this was caught, and again, it's now fixed, so this hopefully isn't something to be concerned about. If you wanna learn more about what actually happened, it's kind of a complex issue. Go ahead and always check out the sources that we leave attached below if you actually wanna learn how this worked. 
And our next story is just really interesting. Eye tracking can reveal an unbelievable amount of information about you. So I'm going to quote the article real quick. Eye tracking data may implicitly contain information about a user's biometric identity, obviously. Gender, age, ethnicity, body weight, personality traits, drug consumption habits, emotional state, skills and abilities, fears, interests, and sexual preferences. That is a lot to ascertain just from eye tracking. They go on to say that certain eye tracking measures may even reveal specific cognitive processes and can be used to diagnose various physical and mental health conditions. So yeah, man, it just seems like the more and more tracking they discover, the more and more we got to worry about with first was what, like facial recognition. And then there's like gait recognition. And now we've got eye tracking and goodness gracious. I'm really curious to see how they're going to deal with uh, like the heart, the heart rate tracking stuff. Oh God. Where I they can, about that. Where they can they can pretty much they can identify you based yeah. on the way your heart beats from a distance. Yeah, from like <laughs> isn't one... it like three? No, that can't be right. I was gonna say it was like three miles, but that's not right. It was at least a few hundred meters away. Maybe I'm thinking three hundred <laughs> meters. Maybe it was it was it. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Our next story. This is I'm not even gonna talk about this very long because we all know this. Uh, most people watching, but I will recap it for those who are new here. Incognito mode, mostly found in Chromium, which is also private mode in Firefox. It's not as secret as it seems. Pretty much, if you're using Cognito mode, it still transmits the user's location, their IP address, uh, and sites can still fingerprint you and figure out who you are. Uh, you just need to know that all Incognito does is it removes your cache, cookies, and history when you delete the tabs. That's it. Privacy is a much more complex topic than just going into Incognito mode. All right, here's a really fascinating story. Uh, Wi-Fi devices are basically going to become object sensors in 2024. They are working, currently working on the 802.11bf standard. And at that point, I'm going to quote the article, Wi-Fi will cease to be a communication only standard and will legitimately become a full-fledged sensing paradigm. And that was Francesco Restuccia. The They're calling it the Wi-Fi sensing project or sense. It is envisioned as a way for devices capable of sending, receiving wireless data to use Wi-Fi signal interference differences to measure other things, uh, velocity, direction, motion, presence. Basically, some of the examples they gave when they were citing privacy concerns, this can be used to track keyboard typing. So as you're typing in your password, it can track that. Uh, it can pass through walls. So even if I turn this off, my neighbor might have this enabled and it could pass through and pick up on me. They definitely mentioned in the article that there's some concerns here and hopefully those will be addressed before it rolls out. Our next article talks about a quick little report that was done covering the privacy practices of specific applications on iOS. The main takeaways here is that Instagram is sharing the most data with third parties. Facebook is number two, then LinkedIn. Uh, there's actually an entire list. If you're watching the video, it shows 50 different applications. You can look at them. Many of them you've probably heard of before. It's incredibly invasive. Uh, YouTube shares 42% of your information. Instagram shares over 70% of your information. It's just ridiculous how much this information is collected. Uh, here's another chart if you're watching the video, apps collecting your data for their own benefits. Facebook is at the top, Instagram is next, Grubhub is in the top five, and so is Uber. So this is just a reminder that every app you download on your phone is going to be collecting a little bit more information about you, if not a lot more information. So always ask yourself before you click the download button, do you need the application? Can I just use the mobile site? Can this just be on my computer? Or um, do you have a separate device where you can keep these unprivate applications separate from yourself? This is also a good, uh, a very good promotion for open source as well, because many open source projects won't be doing this kind of stuff. 
All right, that wraps up our research section. Let's move on to politics. And we're going to start with a couple stories here in the U.S. First, there's a really big one. Feds are saying that a man broke into a public water system and shut down the safety processes. So this is very similar to the story we discussed recently that took place in Florida, but this one took place in Kansas. A former water employee in Kansas is being accused of attempting to harm the Post Rock Water District supply. That facility services over 1,500 customers and 10 wholesale customers, whatever that means, I, I guess they mean like businesses, in eight different counties. He is accused of logging in remotely and shutting down the cleaning and disinfecting procedures. It has not been publicly stated how the employee logged in remotely, but given that he is a former employee, it's very likely that his credentials were just never revoked whenever he stopped working there, whether he left or was fired, whatever the case may be. So that will probably continue to unfold as we move forward. And then we're gonna bounce over to Virginia real quick where lawmakers are, this is a slightly misleading headline, lawmakers have unanimously approved a bill that bans facial recognition technology. So to quote the article real quick, in February, Virginia lawmakers from both parties unanimously approved a bill that would restrict the use of facial recognition technology. Any future use needs special permission from the legislature. So they can still use it, they just have to go get permission from the legislature, which Given my experience with lawmaking, that is a long and arduous process. The reason this is a little bit mis misleading is the bill has not actually been passed into law yet. Basically, all they did was they approved it for discussion when they meet up later this month. Our next story, I want to start out by saying this is from predominantly a, a random user on Reddit, though nothing they say seems to be out of context. I, I just quickly went through the document that they're quoting and it does seem to be legitimate. The Reddit post actually links to the actual document and you can verify what's said. Um, pretty much in Canada, they are trying to start tracking uh, visitors to websites that have adult content where they must submit identification. This is nothing that we haven't seen yet. I believe there was some countries who already tried to implement this kind of stuff where if you try to visit a site that might host pornography or anything else that's uh, adult content, you would have to submit identification before you can access the site. This is always under the... the the disguise of protecting children, which uh, sure it might do that, but we also have major concerns with the privacy aspect of that as well. Um, we need to be asking about the privacy questions before we quickly just jump on the boat of protect the children, terrorists, and <laughs> what are the other security. main go-tos? <laughs> national security is a big Nas man. national security. Um, <laughs> man, what else we got? The greater good. And um, yeah. I'm sure I, I don't have many thoughts on this because I feel like for me, it's pretty self-explanatory. And I think for most people watching, do you have like a better way of summarizing? No, I just I, I think laws like this are really um, they're really they mean well, I think. But they're so misguided, like even going through the comments on Reddit, a lot of people point out they're like, what are they going to do? Block the whole Internet? Because some the, the guy who made the post he even points out like. Even websites like Twitter and Reddit, they have adult content. I mean, there's there's sex workers that use Twitter and. And, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Like, ID everyone that goes to Reddit? And what if what if it's somebody who doesn't visit that part of the website? You know, then now they got to give up their privacy just because Reddit decides they're okay with having that kind of content. It's just ridiculous. So. You know, something I just thought of, because YouTube, I know YouTube in Europe already is starting to ask for ID, or at least to, like... Um, I've heard about that. Yeah, and some of, the, some of our viewers have sent uh, images in our oh, communities. No of where like they tried watching YouTube and it gives them the pop-up, like you have to submit identification. So oh, no. what's, here's what I'm, here's what I'm worried about. So you heard it here, April 3rd, 2021. Sites, I, I hate to say this, but I do think more and more sites are going to actually have to start requesting identification, but no one's gonna wanna give up their identification to hundreds of sites. 
So I think what's going to happen oh, no. is there's going to be a cent- there's going to be a central entity who's going to handle the identification, and it's just going to be all outsourced to them. I think you're right. So, so you know, Google Google's not going to ask for your ID. They're just going to um, link it up with someone who does have your ID, and so it's going to be central identities to everyone on the internet. Or alternately, I, I think I think you're right, but I think we're also going to see a lot of websites on on the other end of that spectrum just cracking down ridiculously on like, you know, like Twitter, for example, they'll just kick off all the sex workers. They'll kick off anything that's even remotely sexual. A real quick story. We're seeing a lot of North Korean hackers targeting InfoSec researchers in a new operation. Basically, for those of you who don't know, North Korea, uh, they actually have some really impressive hacking capabilities. They're doing a new campaign right now where they've made a bunch of fake social media profiles. They even made a whole fake company with a website and everything that looks very realistic. And um, they're claiming to offer like penetration testing and cybersecurity assessments. The important thing to remember is just that a lot of the time we think of hacking as something that people do in the shadows from behind a terminal. Maybe it looks like the 1980s movies. When in reality, a lot of the time the threats are right there in the open. So don't think just because you're on Twitter or Whatever the case, don't think you're safe. You got to be careful of what's out there. We're going to move into the UK, where the UK, on the topic of think of the children, is trying to force Facebook to use a backdoor. Basically, the UK Home Office has a special legal power called a technical capability notice, and they can use that to force Facebook to allow backdoor messages into Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, pretty much any Facebook product. And this is in response to the fact that Facebook, for the last several years, has been promising and hinting that they're going to roll out optional end-to-end encryption in their messages, which I think they actually already have that on mobile. But anyways, the point being, Facebook has keeps saying they're going to roll this out because it enhances the security and privacy of users. The home office is, of course, arguing that it's going to be exploited by pedophiles, and they're using concerns about child safety online, and they are threatening to force Facebook to build in a backdoor. Of course, I'm sure many of us know there is no such thing as a backdoor that only the good guys can use. So... This is just going to make everybody subject to the same surveillance as any given criminal. Staying in English-speaking countries, we're going to bounce over to Australia. Australia is considering forcing Australians to provide IDs for social media and dating sites. The Australian government is trying to find ways to mitigate online bullying, trolling, stalking, and they didn't mention it, but presumably misinformation. So they're considering adding a new policy or law where if you use social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, even Tinder, stuff like that, you might have to provide a state ID like a driver's license or a passport in order to verify that you are you, which again, this is one of those things that I think they mean well, but I'm not sure the privacy implications are worth it and i'm honestly i'm not even sure they would work our next story is a pretty interesting one i i actually i actually don't think it's in the worst in- intention believe it or not uh, but there definitely are some glaring concerns here russia's market is pretty much dominated by international tech companies so to them foreign companies would be apple samsung huawei and, and lots of other companies and they're now trying to step in and support their own local companies in Russia. That's at least what they're saying publicly is the reason for this. So now Apple's actually caved in pretty much packaging Russian software into the iPhone. So when you install iOS, you get your brand new iPhone, it's now going to, I believe it's asking you to install different Russian software when you once you get the phone, which is a huge concern. Uh, I'm actually very upset that Apple would even agree to doing something like this, though Apple came out and said it, it, all the apps are 
corresponding with Apple's privacy and security standards. Uh, it's still a concern that they're allowing that kind of control to happen on Apple's software. It's scary to see uh, the kind of influence that the, the governments can have on, on companies, but it's also unfortunate to see that the companies don't have to cave into that. Uh, it, this would just likely be a big financial hit to Apple if they didn't just do what they're being told to do. All right, we have Foss stories, and oh, this is a good one. I'm gonna say something right now. This is a hot topic. I don't think either party is necessarily correct. I think both sides of this have completely valid arguments, and you have the ability to make your own decisions. Okay, I have my own beliefs, and you can have your own beliefs as well, and you can disagree with me, and that's totally cool. Pretty much the FSF, which is the Free Software Foundation. These are the people who, they, they not only just accelerated the, the open source free software movement, but in many ways, they almost started it. Uh, and one of the most notable people is Richard Stallman, who is a very controversial person because he uh, he's very outspoken. He's said some questionable things in the past that many people think uh, went way too far and other people think is okay. Um, I encourage you to go online and read these things yourself and make your own decision. Richard Stallman was kicked out or he says he left. He has re-returned and now there has been a huge amount of backlash from the community. Lots of people are saying, we don't want anything to do with this. People signed a letter to try to get him kicked off. Things have just kept escalating, and now the management team has more and more people resigning. Lots of specific end dates are still being determined, but just so you know, the FSF is going through a lot of stuff right now. A lot of it is just off on this controversy around Richard Stallman. A lot of people are leaving the FSF right now, and this is still kind of an unfolding story, but you should know that this is existing. And then the next story here is actually a really, ah, oh, this, this makes me very happy. So one of the biggest and best benefits of getting an iPhone instead of any Android device is Apple supports their devices for typically close to six years. If you buy an iPhone, you're gonna get security updates for six years. It's from a minimalist and like a, and a person who, who wants to preserve perspective it's just unbeatable. Most Android devices last two to three years on security updates and then that's it, you gotta get a new phone. But listen to this, so Fairphone is a phone that's, as it as it sounds, is meant to be fair and uh, it's good. It's supposed to be good for the environment, it's supposed to last a long time. The Fairphone 2, which is five years old, is getting updated to the three-year-old Android 9. So they're still getting security updates. <laughs> Um, and this is a phone that's five years old. This is from Fairphone, quote, to get Google certification for Android 9 for Fairphone 2, just as we hit five years of support for the smartphone is a huge achievement. And that really is, not even Google supports their own phones for five years. Now we're gonna move on to our misfits, which are just kind of our fun stories. This is a very fun one. The nuclear agency accounts for the United States tweeted random gibberish. If you're watching the video, uh, you can see it. It literally looks like gibberish. And so people's first thoughts were, are these nuclear launch codes? <laughs> like that was, everyone was scared because they're like, what the hell is this? Um, because it just looks like someone just randomly typed on, on the keyboard. But it turns out that the person who had control of the Twitter account left their phone unlocked and they had a child who got the phone and just typed some random crap and sent the tweet. This is a good reminder that even around trusted people, um, you sh probably shouldn't leave your devices unlocked. All right, and this was another kind of a bigger, slightly big story this week. The official PHP Git server was targeted in an attempt to bury malware in the code base. What they tried to do was they tried to bury two commits, which for those who don't know how Git works, commits are basically changes to the code, and I believe there's just like a button you can like click, like, yeah, okay, that's good, add it. Somebody tried to commit two commits masked as typographical errors, so basically spelling errors, and 
one of the de developers noticed both of these, and one of them was actually submitted under his name, and the other was submitted under the name of the creator of PHP. But fortunately, this developer noticed it, he took a closer look, and he's like, that's, that's not right. And good thing he did, because the code appeared to create a backdoor for remote code execution. So basically, PHP, which is incredibly popular and used in many, many, many uh, programs and applications, uh, PHP almost had a backdoor inserted into it, and thank God this guy caught it, because that would have been really bad. And in response to this event, the PHP team has decided that they're going to stop self-hosting GitHub, and they're going to move to actual GitHub and just let a bigger, better team handle the security so this doesn't happen again. Our next story, I'm not going to go too far into it because it's pretty straightforward, pretty much. Uh, there are gaming mods, cheat engines that are spreading Trojan malware and planting backdoors. So um, if you're in the gaming world, you likely know that there's a lot of these uh, third-party tools and different ways of modding your games and uh, especially cracking games as well. As always, just remember that you are taking a severe risk by using these tools. Uh, and this article just goes into how uh, this has been kind of a rising concern. Uh, so just be careful with that, and I don't recommend you use these kinds of tools. Hackers are stealing videos from private security cameras and selling them online. So this is mostly happening in China. I'm sure it's happening all over the world, but this article focused specifically on China. Uh, cyber criminals are stealing footage from home security cameras, but also like malicious cameras hidden in hotels, fitting rooms, beauty salons, just anywhere they can stick a camera or steal from an existing camera. And... They've kind of categorized all the videos into two categories. There's normal videos, and then there's like videos with sexual acts or nudity. And they're charging anywhere from three to eight dollars. And they're also selling real time, like several channels at once for eleven dollars to thirty nine dollars. And that's US dollars, by the way. Not much to say here, just to be aware of be aware of any cameras you bring into the house. And also just when you're out in public, be aware that cameras may be out there. And I just thought it was ironic that the lawyer from Shanghai law firm Shanghai Highways Law Firm, he told the newspaper, he said, this is an illegal industry and a criminal offense under existing laws. So it's okay when the government does it, but not when criminals do it. Banks are selling, quote, anonymized financial data about their users, like credit and debit card activity, uh, the stores that they shop at. They say that it's not as specific as what exactly you bought, but one, it's not very hard to cross-reference certain data, and still, it's still very invasive information that can really uh, show you who a person is based on their financial habits and the stores they go to. Everything that you purchase that goes through your bank is likely uh, shared with other people. This is not private information whatsoever. Uh, solutions, use cash. You can use prepaid debit cards, non-reloadable prepaid debit cards. Uh, and also there's online card masking services like what's offered by MySudo. There's privacy.com. Uh, and I think uh, Abine, we just covered Abine in the review, their delete me service. I think they have Blur, which includes that as well. Yeah, there's, uh, I mean, there's, fortunately, this is becoming an increasingly popular service. I know there's Revolut, there's Viabuy in other countries. There's, yeah. So fortunately, options are growing. Yeah, I, I list a bunch of them on my website. And if anybody knows any more, please let me know, because I will list any of them that I'm aware of that work in other countries. All right, and we're going to end on just a real short story that I thought was amazing. Uh, somebody infected over 21,000 different Microsoft Exchange servers, which we've been talking about. It's this big Microsoft server software that got severely hacked uh, about a month ago. Somebody infected 21,000 different Microsoft Exchange servers and the malware that they planted called home to brian.krebsonsecurity.top. And for those who don't know that name, there is a cybersecurity legend named Brian Krebs. So basically they made it look like he planted this malware and that it was calling home to him, which of course, if you read that domain name, it's clearly not him, but still it's, 
uh, just, I don't know if somebody had a beef with him or was just trolling him or what. Uh, he goes into the technical details on the article, but mainly I just thought that was a really interesting and funny story that somebody planted the malware and then decided to frame very poorly frame this cybersecurity legend for some reason. Uh, make sure to tune in next week. A lot of these stories will probably follow up on and there's gonna be, there's always new stories. This is an always ongoing battle. Uh, so make sure to tune in next week to the next surveillance report SR37 and we will be covering the news then. Uh, don't forget that this episode is brought to you by Go Incognito, which is our own course that we developed from the ground up for everybody. There's a free and a premium version. No matter what, it's, it's extremely great information that you'll likely learn so much from. And again, I wanna thank you for listening to SR36. I want to thank Nate for tuning in as well. It's always great to have Nate on. Thanks again for listening, everybody, and see you next week.